Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. I'm so glad you've joined me for this episode of the Relevate Podcast. So you may know I live in Metro Atlanta. Too busy to hate was the motto of the city, quickly became the heart of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Fast forward 60 years, we've made progress. There's still so much to be done. We are a nation deeply divided on so many issues. My guest on this episode has a radical cure for what is ailing us. Sarah Crossman Sullivan is an evangelist for love. She's an attorney and consultant who passionately and eloquently defends in the name of love with practical tips to be mindful to pause and respond in love instead of emotion or hate. Hatred consumes and degrades while love reconciles and heals. Both Jesus and Martin Luther King preached it and lived it. Love is and always will be the answer. Sarah has written a new book on this very subject with a very long title. It is called Beautifully Broken and Astoundingly Whole. Throw off the facade of perfection. Capture the strength of growing in grit, grace, hope, and love. Please listen and share this episode. Jam-packed so much hope Love and joy. Sarah Crossman Sullivan, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Oh, it's a thrill to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, sure. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to be able to, to get to know you a little bit better and learn more about what you're doing in the space of encouraging people to love more. I just, um, that whole concept really resonates in my heart and my listeners' hearts, and I know they're really going to enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a chat with me. It's a joy. It's a joy, and, I, and we'll have a fun time diving into what love-driven leadership is all about. Yeah, definitely. So before we kind of get into that, let's um, help us understand a little bit more about your background, where you're from, and um, how we kind of got here to today. I am a native Floridian who now lives in Atlanta, Georgia, but a proud Floridian. I know we can be a bit of a different people, but, <laughs> but it makes for interesting dinner table conversations. Mm-hmm. I am the third of four, the daughter of a writer and consultant and a pastor and oh, civil nice. rights leader. So it was a home where we had Mm -hmm. a lot of love, not a lot of things, but a lot of love. Mm -hmm. In fact, I often tell people that the three greatest things my parents ever provided all of us with is that we never doubted their love for us, their love for each other, and their love for God. Mm. And those three things can take off a slough. That's right. You can have problems. You can have disagreements. You can misunderstand each other. But if you have those foundations what an ability to soar and mm-hmm. what an ability to go back to 
who you are and whose you are. Oh, that's amazing. So when you say your dad was a civil rights leader, what, what exactly does that mean? So, and, that, and that's an important question because that can have broad definitions and narrow definitions. Mom and dad and their journey in civil rights uh, as a unit and a union began when they were serving in ministry in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. Dad, so they were in it together. They were in it together. Dad um, was a hugely successful salesman for Yardley of London. Uh, which was a cosmetics company at the time. Think big cosmetics Mm -hmm. like Kardashians only, you know, a lot of years ago. So he's hugely successful. Mom is working for U.S. Steel. They're living in Indiana at the time. And he gets the call to the ministry. So they drop everything, take these two little kids that they have, move to Atlanta to attend Emory. And Mm -hmm. while there, mom works as a receptionist to help put dad through school. And dad uh, is an itinerant pastor working at small churches in northern Georgia. At that time, dealing with a lot of racist issues, needing to do some bridge building. And then additionally, the thing that rattled their world. So was that like the 60s? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, And what shaped them and shaped our nation was the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I always find it fascinating that my mom would say that their life began with a death. Mm. And isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? And so in that pain, in that hurt in our nation and hurt in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. a city by its very nature that wasn't coming together, that was broken in so many ways, Mom and dad and hundreds and hundreds of people got together and served. Literally opened their tiny home, helped people, serving meals, parking cars, doing whatever they could, and even in the funeral procession, just to love on people. And from that start, everywhere they served, every city they went to, being brave in their leadership, being brave and calling out wrongs, but calling them out with love. Yes. Calling them out with beautiful truth and calling them out to get people to come together to the table. Oh my gosh, that is just extraordinary. Because I think with the social rights movement that has taken place really since I've been alive, you know, we don't hear a lot about, about the Caucasian folks that were in the background that were loving and encouraging and helping smooth the waters and make that happen. So. What a blessing to have parents like that. Well, there were, there have always been many people uh, Mm -hmm. and and all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors doing good work. It's happening right now. Mm -hmm. But what we have to be honest about is that kind of work is hard. It requires bravery and courage, and it can be very lonely. Yes. And so when we do it, we have this sense of, oh, this call to justice mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. going to be great. Sometimes it can be backbreaking. Sometimes you can feel so beleaguered. Sometimes mm-hmm. people feel that way now because they're seeing things that they perceive are not getting better. A perfect example of that is just recently, you may have heard that the memorial sign honoring Emmett Till mm-hmm. uh, has been replaced by a bulletproof sign. How is it possible in the end of 2019, the end of this decade, that we still have people who are upset by the lynching and brutal murder of an innocent 14-year-old African-American child. Mm -hmm. But just recently, in front of the new sign, there were white supremacists. It's our job to call the light and call the darkness Mm -hmm. and bring more light Mm -hmm. and to say what is wrong and to call that hate and say the hate won't win. Yeah. But part of it is acknowledging that it still exists. Yes. And trying to figure out why. Mm -hmm. 
Why is the hatred there? Why does that sign and a memory and a memorial of really terrible things rile up racism when it should be bringing more peace? But alas, all I know is it means I've got more work to do. I need to love more. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to run to Mississippi today, but I can love more when I'm driving in my car. I can love more when I pick up my coffee. Sure. Is intense. Okay, so you grew up in this household, one of four kids. Did you know that you wanted to be on the front lines as well? Well, you know, it's funny. People sometimes have great birth stories. Like my mm-hmm. husband has a great birth story. You know, those moments in an office when people say, tell us two truthful things and one lie or go around the room and tell us something amazing about yourself. And most people like me start sweating. Oh, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> And my husband always has the great story of saying he was born in the elevator of the hospital. What? Right? <laughs> like, um, it, it just there he came while his mom okay. was sitting in, in the, the wheelchair. I don't have that, but I'm okay with that. Meaning my parents had two kids, eight years later had two more. They were thinking about uh, adopting a mixed-race child and then got pregnant with me. And then very soon thereafter, my younger brother came. And life just plugs along. Yeah. And all I, I knew was inherently since a young age, I've had my own call to justice. That doesn't always make it easy for you as a child or for your parents Mm -hmm. when you're seeking to help bring change um, in in subtle ways in school or on the playground. But it's a learning process. I've been thinking lately about one of the neatest things my mom taught me after school and in the evenings we would play kickball on the street. And there was one child who was pretty mean and kind of bullying and she always brought the ball and it caused a lot of stress and I would come home and you know moan to my mom she's so mean she's so mean and my mom would say why don't you go tomorrow and bring your own ball yeah you know that seems so simple but I could have spent and the rest of us could have spent days and weeks and months knotted up when the simple solution was there And sometimes it just takes somebody else bringing us some light, showing the simplicity and what we perceive as being so complex. Bring your own ball. But here's the thing. The big kicker is still encourage the bully to come play. Yeah. So did you do that? We did. (laughs) (laughs) And life went on. (laughs) Good job. So you ended up being an attorney. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that because... I, if I would have told you that after marrying my high school prom date and uh, heading into law school, that the plan would be we'd stay in Florida where our entire families mm-hmm. are. But alas, God had other plans. Uh, my husband got transferred while I was in law school, took a, a job with a tech company, and then I followed. And I find it interesting that, you know, I was reticent about coming to Atlanta, which mm-hmm. is perplexing to me now. Atlanta's home and always will be. But it was actually a law school professor who I didn't think knew me well or saw me, Mm -hmm. but he did. And I happened to be talking to him after class one day. I don't even remember how the subject came up, but I was telling him about my concern. You know, my husband and I are going to have to be commuting to one another, and it looks like I'm going to need to find a a legal job in Atlanta, a job as an attorney in Atlanta. And this professor said, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. Mm. I've never forgotten those words. You know, that professor could have said, good luck with that. Yeah. Or, wow, why? Why would you go? You're going to law school in Florida. But what a wonderful change with those, the, those words of blessing, those words of encouragement. Sure. And it's amazing to think that we all have that ability mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. to shift someone's life, to give them authentic words of encouragement that change everything for them. 
Yes, definitely. So I snagged something off your Instagram page that is totally in line with that. And on Instagram, you posted, you will connect with someone today who is readying for a dream. Maybe it's a dream within yourself. Don't miss opportunity to encourage, assure, and listen. Then go. Beautifully go. So I, I, I agree with you totally that we're not listening we're not listening to those that are in front of us, and we're not encouraging. I know I'm, I'm kind of a dreamer entrepreneur at heart, and so many times I've shared a dream with somebody, and they look at me like, <laughs> eyes crossed, like, you're going to do a podcast? I'm like, yeah. Yes. But, you know, that's the thing. Me go. That's the thing going back to, to the way I started and the way I evolved. I always tell people, do not get caught up in somebody else's definition of who you have to be, mm-hmm. right? That, that it's okay if you're hard to define. It's okay if you're an attorney and an author. In fact, with my uh, legal title, I make sure to add counselor. Counselor doesn't mean as in counseling like a therapist, Mm -hmm. but it's the old school nomenclature for being an attorney because everything in my life is about relationships. It is never going to be just transactional. If it's just transactional, neither one of us are going to wonderfully soar and succeed. We need to be about the relationship. Counselor evokes that. Mm-hmm. And it also evokes partner. Yes, exactly. We are in partnership together. We mess that up as people sometimes when we get um, wrangled in the notion of wanting to be people of yes, but in mm-hmm. our exhaustion, become people of no. Yes. And we become people of no and negativity in an instant. Mm-hmm. You know, flick of a switch, turn of a dime. See it all the time. Right. And, and that can be hard in my, uh, you know, my primary work is corporate consulting, helping uh, companies perform better, CXO levels, as well as individual sales levels and, and with teams, mm-hmm. helping them bring out the best in one another. Yeah. The other work that I do is in special education advocacy and justice advocacy. And special education parents, all the time, so much of their pain stems from archaic systems that involve people of no, when they could so readily say yes. That is so true. And when you combine, you know, violating federal law with just not choosing to do the moral right mm-hmm. thing that will change somebody's life, that gets hard. Right. And it's hard to tell parents not to take it personally when mm-hmm. those decisions feel so darn personal. And it can become very hard for them to persist and advocate for their own children Mm -hmm. when they feel so beaten down by the system that is supposed to be the one caring and elevating and growing and helping them beautifully become. And isn't that why we're here? To love more and help each other beautifully become? Yes. None of us are ever perfect. Mm -hmm. None of us are ever buttoned up and nailed up. I mean, if somebody tells you they are, you need to move on. I guess they're already fixed. Total work in progress. Yes. And it just keeps getting better. And Oh, and isn't that neat that you see that? Because when we're sad, when we're beaten down and knotted up, the onward, the seeing that it can be and will be better is hard. Um, That's why I think we've got to be careful in saying it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. What does okay look like? What does hope look like? We know that the acronym for hope is hold on pain ends. Mm -hmm. We've got to help people with the how. Yeah. We've got to help people with the why. 
Exactly. We can't just throw out trite promises of, of what it will be mm-hmm. if we don't help them beautifully become. Right. Right. And I think so much of the focus is on the youth. I can remember graduating from high school and it was like, these are the best days of your life. You know, it's like 18 years old, you know, thinking like, wow, you know, that, you know, and you close that chapter and you, you know, you kind of fearfully but excitedly step into the next chapter and college was fun and amazing. And then my single, you know, it just, it just gets better. And I think so much of that is mindset. Mindset. And if we would quit pushing each other to race through these experiences, to race through this time period. Mm -hmm. If I can just get from A to Z, well, don't miss everything in between. You know, if you talk to high school students nowadays, and I had the privilege just yesterday to speak before a group, one of their primary pains is feeling like they have no time. And sure, some of that is Mm self-inflicted, But I've got to own that as a parent. Sure. I've got to own that as a citizen of this world. Mm-hmm. What are we pushing on this younger generation of their rush and have to? You know, as you said, by the time you get to college, um, what have you tried to achieve? Is it 18 AP classes? What mm-hmm. CEO ever sat down and said, well, my success was all due to those 18 AP classes? Yeah. No one. No one. <laughs> no one. Yeah. So why are we perpetuating a lie? We want people to work hard. Yes. We want them to be stimulated in dreams. Mm-hmm. But let's stop insisting that 14-year-olds in ninth grade need to pick their track and their focus for graduation. And They're not ready college. for it. No. Their brains aren't ready. Their hearts aren't, aren't ready. And it just takes time sometimes to find your, your path. We, we uh, have this ability to build dreams or quash them. Mm-hmm. And with young children, we certainly ask the question, what do you dream of becoming? But I have found in the last year in working especially with CXO-level employees, they themselves have fi- found a longing and a wondering for their own dreams. And so I advise mm. them what we advise young children, and not just young children who have learning differences, but most young children, what do they need? They need the gift of time. They need to be told in their coursework, slow down. Mm -hmm. These CXO level employees are so radically blessed by hearing the permission to slow down a bit. Stop being so hard Mm -hmm. on yourself. Right. And make time for rest and quiet. Yes. We don't... our quiet time in this day and age, primarily, because <laughs> we're all on our phones all the time, checking in, you know, it's just, it's just evaporated. Well, where is the celebration for rest? There's no likes and hearts and loves for the encouragement of rest. Right. The encouragement of rest comes solely from within. So we have to honor that that becomes a little bit of harder work because we're all so fixated on the stimulation that comes from the phone. And there's goodness on our phones. There's goodness in social media. Mm -hmm. But we've also got to really work on making sure we're monitoring, um, tending to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I know sometimes people marginalize um, the easiness of taking a hot bath or walking outside. Or, as you said, having several, multiple nights of rest. They're vital. Yes. Vital. We are learning more and more and more about what in REM sleep does to literally reset our Mm -hmm. brains. 
Absolutely. Okay, so I'm super excited to talk about your new book and think it would just make a great gift um, in the spirit of Thanksgiving as we're in the month of gratitude or Christmas. So it's kind of a long title. uh, So I'd like to break it apart in three chunks and talk (laughs) about it one at a time. So the full, the full name of your book is Beautifully Broken and Astoundingly Whole, Throw Off the Facade of Perfection, Capture the Strength of Growing in Grit, Grace, Hope, and Love. That is quite a title, Sarah. <laughs> okay, so let's start, start with, with the big headliner, Beautifully Broken and Astoundingly Whole. Why did you start with that in the title? You know, I have always loved the phrase beautifully broken. I think it is a phrase of power. Mm -hmm. I think it is a phrase we can misunderstand, especially when we're younger. We might think beautifully broken is something that minimizes us or marginalizes us. As we awaken to our full selves, Mm -hmm. we realize being beautifully broken is a wonderful thing. That's what makes us so unique. Part of the title uh, came, and I share in my book, is that when I was young, my parents, in fact, I think it happened before I was born and and trickled through all four of the kids, but they purchased a ceramic coffee pot for a wedding gift for somebody. And before they were about to give it that early Saturday, somebody in the family broke it. And eventually, as mom tells, every one of her children broke that pot. Well, she always would glue it back together. And it was never glued perfectly. You could see the hardening glue glistening on the side. You could see some cracks for which you wouldn't find the pieces to put it back together. But my mom never hid it. She never tucked it away in a cupboard or just had Mm -hmm. it for sentimentality. She put it in places of adoration. That in are these really tiny houses, actually parsonages, so church-owned, sometimes really small, uh, where lots of church people might show up every once Mm -hmm. in a while. There was this coffee pot. And it brought mom so much joy. And think about that. A mother saying, this is broken. And inherently, what is in that? You broke this. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I love it. And I love you. And there is beauty in the brokenness. And we can put it back together. Yes, yes. There is a wonderful castle in England. And hundreds and hundreds of years ago in Civil War, the stained glass windows were broken. And so into trying to determine how to put back the um, display together, the storytelling together, they decided just to put the pieces back in different and ornate ways. And so now this beautiful, beautiful artistry is there. It's a different story that's told because it's all imperfect Mm -hmm. and yet so beautifully imperfect now. The light still comes through. The color is still there. It's just in a different way. And we never would have known it had the glass not shattered. That is so beautiful. And I think the brokenness, it's going to happen to every single one of us at myriad times in our life. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get out of life not being broken multiple times. Mark Twain, is. uh, there's a famous Mark Twain quote that says, I can live for two months on a really good compliment. I like that because it reminds me of uh, the great theologian Henri Nouwen, who talks about how I'm plugging along and plugging along, and then one hard backbreaking statement, one hard statement kind of questioning who I am, and we're a bit shattered. Yes. We're a bit broken. Mm-hmm. We were fine the day before, yes. and then this knucklehead says something that just throttles us, and not just throttles us for a mm-hmm. moment, stays. 
then begins breaking us bit by bit, and it takes a while to put things together. And when you know you have great friends is the moment that you realize you've got people around you who help put the pieces together mm-hmm. and put them back for beautiful you, not beautiful them, right. not for a selfish purpose, but helping put together beautiful you and honoring who you are, who you authentically awesomely are wonderfully made to be and that's each and every one of us yes we all have a calling on our lives and a reason why we're here sometimes it doesn't feel like it that's right and sometimes we're the pain in the neck yeah sometimes we're the grump sometimes oh gosh we're the one doing the breaking Mm -hmm. and that's its own awakening when we realize i've broken something I need to be about the fixing. Yes. I need to be about the mending. And that state of and place of grace and humility is an awe-inspiring, wonderful moment to be in. But we've got to want to be there. We've got to be ready to be there. Yes. And that requires strength. That requires maturity. That requires learning. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Okay, that was amazing. So part two of your title, The Row Off the Facade of perfection. Oh, we suff- oh, yeah. We could talk <laughs> all day about this one, couldn't we? That's right. Our, uh, my shiny self on Instagram mm-hmm. or Facebook, those, those perfectly filtered pictures. Is that the real me or is that what I just want people to see? We mm-hmm. all wander through that um, because we see what the world does when, things, um, are, when it appears that things aren't perfect. We've got to be willing to tackle this epidemic of empty. And I think the epidemic of empty Mm -hmm. is an offshoot of this facade of Mm -hmm. perfection. Mm -hmm. The only thing I know to conquer this epidemic is love. Powerful, igniting, persistent, Mm -hmm. soft, and booming love. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how did we, how did we get to this point, do you think, where we're, it's just all about appearances. I mean, we're not really being real and transparent. We're not in that type of relationship where we can really be real with people. I think in some degree, it's always been there because we're human beings by nature. We are um, an insecure lot. <laughs> there is, um, we, we know we're not supposed to worry. We're not supposed to worry about the things on the outside, but we do. We so readily get caught up in, in that. And yes, that's been happening since I think that the dawn of our existence, it's just heightened now because it's so readily apparent at any given moment. And at any given moment, our kids are constantly seeking response. And we know that it's biological. It's response as we all carry our phones and it vibrates and we really need to look at it. That's so hard not to have it in our hand. But it's response when we send something out, whether we are texting two people or tweeting out to, you know, five million people, we're wanting an engagement. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that instant engagement. The emptiness becomes readily apparent. So we start trying to fill those holes with things that will never fill them. Yes, yes. And I mentioned I really have a heart and passion for people in recovery because they are, the level of transparency is so much greater for a lot of these people for what they've been through. And they are just working so hard on improving themselves. You know, attending meetings, just reading, and it's it's such a process of continual self-improvement. 
And I just admire and respect that so much. And I think people without an addiction, we just get complacent in who we are and where we are in life. And this is what this is what you get. Whereas we've all got work to do. And isn't that a, a marvelous and wonderful point that it's people who've gone through unbelievable hardship, as you're sharing, who are bravely coming out of and struggling with addiction their whole lives, mm-hmm. right? Even the person who's never had a drink for 40 years, it's still a daily struggle. Right. And in that struggle, in that acknowledgement, there's freedom. And maybe that's it a little bit, mm-hmm. that they are finally free, and they're free in a way that a lot of us are not yet free. Right. But Sarah, it goes back to the brokenness. Yes. For most of them, there was brokenness that never was addressed or never got healed. So it, you, you numb it. Well, and I think if we're honest, we all numb brokenness in various ways. Yes, Some people do. numb it with sex. Some mm-hmm. people numb it with shopping. Mm-hmm. Some people uh, numb it with holding themselves up, meaning I'm just not going to be a part of the world or engage. And so in our work to heal ourselves and heal each other, we've got to be examining more what's causing this academic of empty, what's causing these holes, and how do we feel them? You know, a great example of that mm-hmm. is all the hype that's coming this Thanksgiving for the movie we know that's going to be marvelous about Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. And of course, Tom Hanks playing, playing Mr. Rogers. Wait. Dad is playing Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Why are we longing right now for Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers was marvelous. Mr. Rogers wasn't perfect. His own beloved widow admits that he wasn't perfect. Mr. Rogers knew how to love. And in fact, in his song, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Mm -hmm. he's pleading. He's pleading not about himself. He's pleading for you, stranger, to come over, come be by my side. Let's get to know each other. Let's be together. Do we crave, do we earnestly crave to be together? Or are we just putting things out on social media just to announce, to broadcast? Mm -hmm. Look at me. So good. And the last part of the title, capture the strength of growing in grit, grace, hope, and love. Tell me more about that. Perhaps not grit, but grace, hope, and love, I think are unfortunately viewed as soft skills. Mm -hmm. And they are not They are absolutely things that we tend to leave at home. In fact, we don't just leave them at home. Oftentimes, we inadvertently make them as part of our goodbyes, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going out the door. I say to the kids and my husband, I love you. What about the vast critical middle, the middle of the day, the middle of the night? Am I saying I love you them? Am I using the strength of love? The same is true at work. We look at hope and grace and love. No, no, no. HR doesn't want us having Mm -hmm. those at work. I'm not talking about love as, a, as sex or an affair. I'm talking about love encouraging you to work in compassion and integrity and empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, that you can fire somebody. You can fire them. They need to be terminated. They need to go into some other career because they're not fitting here. But you can do it in such a way that that employee leaves feeling thankful. That employee leaves without anger, without uh, admonition from your side, but a moment of grace. Mm -hmm. It's the harder choice. It's like when you're a parent and you're choosing whether to raise an obedient child or a child who is a decision maker. Mm -hmm. The harder parenting is raising the decision maker. Because we think of obedience like we do good manners. That's what makes us good people. Good manners are fine, but good manners has nothing to do with being an empathetic, courageously loving person. Yes. 
I can be a jerk and still have great manners. <laughs> right. Right. And I think I love the fact that you work with companies and, I, and I'm assuming you work on company culture a lot. Yeah, sure. You get into yes. that. Because I know that I've been associated with companies where integrity, personal integrity was not really a value of the company. You know, if you're a salesperson and you're producing results, we're going to overlook a lot of what you're doing and saying as a person. It may be a written value, but it may not be a lived out value. Those are two very, very different things. Yes. And oftentimes I see with, with companies, what we inadvertently do is we have a lot of wasted walls. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are wasted space where we could be living out who we are, who we're called to be, and we're not utilizing and, and um, making the most of spaces and where our employees are and the messages we want to convey, not just to them, but what we want our employees to convey to our customers. Who do we authentically want to be? Mm-hmm. Is it a long-tailed engagement or do we just want to be in, out, done? Right. The better ROI is the long-tailed engagement. Absolutely. Our, the better ROI is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a leader within a company, how do you begin to instill that in your team? And how does it manifest for the people that are working there? What I advise companies, and when I first engage with them, the, you know, one of the initial questions is, is there a problem? Mm-hmm. If you want to envelop love, if you want to have a better team, the first thing you've got to do is truly inherently identify the problem and want to do so. One way to, to coin that question would be, is there a sickness? Mm-hmm. Is there a sickness? Is it one person? Is it one group? Is it a culture, as you've said? Let's talk about where the pain points are. Mm-hmm. And then the second question is really important as well. Do you want to get well? So often companies pay tons and tons of monies to have consultants come in and nothing ever changes. Yes. Uh, and you probably even know yeah. that as a customer sometimes, mm-hmm. you fill out an evaluation or give feedback and nothing is done with it. Mm-hmm. That is often more damaging yes. than bringing in no consultant mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware of where the pain points are, where the sicknesses are, and then truly asking ourselves, getting deep, do we want to get better? Yeah. And that's, those are two questions, rather, that seem very simple, but they're actually quite complex. And consulting, changing, becoming all you powerfully can with love is never going to happen if we don't get the answers to those two questions. Yeah, most definitely. So I love that your book is a call on people to vibrantly revive. It's called a vibrantly revive probably easier for you to say than me. What exactly does that mean? How do we vibrantly revive? Well, clearly my answer should be easier said than done, perhaps. (laughs) So we talk a lot about to thrive and revive, but I think that we need to remember vibrancy is a critical part of it. We can revive um, when we've had a heart attack, right? The moment I've come back to life. Mm -hmm. But what does the next 40 years look like? Does that become a game-changing moment? Do I change my diet? Do I decide to fulfill a bucket list? Do I want to look at some dreams? Do I want to look at some things I don't want to do anymore? Sure. Vibrant living is really living. Right. I can plod along mm-hmm. after reviving, but it doesn't mean I'm actually and be living. afraid of the heart attack that's 
may come. Right. And in that case, what I'm doing is dying a little bit every day. I was revived just to die. I want vibrancy. I want living in some brave Mm. love. And I mean, not just the heart attack. I mean, dealing with that contentious neighbor, dealing with that difficult coworker that I've got to see every day. What is it going to look like for me to vibrantly revive Mm -hmm. my life? Yeah. And how do you do that? We do it in small steps Mm -hmm. and big ones. Mm -hmm. We do it sometimes, interestingly enough, away from the the situation and circumstance, Right. right? If I'm in the midst of a lot of pain and somebody's really hurting me, sometimes I have to know that I don't have to confront and deal with that pain right now. Mm-hmm. So, so think about this. We've got um, an environment, a culture, and um, reality TV shows that say, you know, drink a lot and then go out and confront and yell at each other and it'll all get better. Uh, uh, truth no. be told, it doesn't seem to get a lot better. And secondly, why is there always the push to confront? Yes, sometimes you need to do that and take care of it, but it doesn't mean it has to be done today. Right. I know that one of the best ways to heal is sometimes to walk away from that, collect yourself, whatever that is, whatever that mm-hmm. problem or pain is. And here's the kicker. Go love and serve with somebody else. There you go. Go bring love into somebody else's dark place. You may not be able to fix that current situation mm-hmm. for a long time. You mentioned addiction. Addiction in a family, addiction in a relationship is a long-tail journey. Yes. It's not fixed with immediacy, and there mm-hmm. are fallbacks and setbacks mm-hmm. and pains we still aren't talking enough about. Yes. And so we can't readily fix it. But what I can fix is me. I can go out and love and serve and help in community and do some things that are going to bless some other people. That's not soft. That's not small. That's everything to living in awe, to living in gratitude, to becoming whole. Right. And we all have the power and the capacity to do that, to find something, as my pastor Andy Stanley says, find what breaks your heart. Find what breaks your heart and then go towards that. I work with a lot of nonprofits and, and they all need to volunteers. And um, just the power of serving, I agree with you. There is, there is healing and magic and um, vibrancy in serving other people. It gets your mind off of your troubles. Well, and you know sure. where the, the serving can come to? You know, maybe you can't go to the soup kitchen. Maybe, such as in working with special education, it's, it's too hard because you can be in situations that never, ever get better, mm-hmm. right? So you're kind of exhausted in serving there. Here's one really neat way you can serve. When you were at a restaurant, when you were at a retail establishment, and somebody does a good job, mm-hmm. they're kind, they go the extra mile, go ask for that person's manager, get their name, say in front of their coworkers, mm-hmm. I want you to know about Joe. Do you know what Joe did today? Yeah. Tell the great thing that person did. We are so mm-hmm. easily ready to go guns blazing and say, this person was terrible and what a horrible customer service experience. Why don't we flip that narrative and start talking more about the people we all inadvertently take it for granted who bring us light, Mm -hmm. who made that call to the insurance company so much easier just because they were problem solvers, just because they themselves were a person of yes. Let's not take those people for granted. Let's be in service Mm -hmm. by calling out the good. Right. And I think that a lot of that is being fully present in the moment. 
Well right? said. Well said. Don't you think we're just kind of, I know I'm, I'm guilty of it where I'm, I'm not fully present. I'm thinking about what I need to do or where I need to be or what needs to be done. I'm not present and I'm missing it because that's, that's all we really have is right now. We're working mothers. Isn't being present really hard? <laughs> it is really hard. So then it it's important to acknowledge that. Yeah. You're not going to be fully present every day, but when you have the moment to do so, the breath to do so, and I mean the deep breath of, all right, this was good. Mm-hmm. Let me acknowledge the good. Right. Right. And before we started recording, we talked about some foundational pieces. And I think being working mothers, having a solid relationship with our spouse is, it's got to be a priority, wouldn't you say? It has to be a priority. We have to acknowledge that it's, that it's work, but I think it's wondrous and wonderful work mm-hmm. if you allow it to be. You know, my husband, again, was my, my prom date, and which is such a blessing and amazing, but we caution our children. You know, our four children, we say to them, we don't have a desire that you, you know, fall in love at 15 like we did. Mm-hmm. You are evolving and becoming, and you need to allow that to happen. Why do I share that? Because my husband and I have always been, been very aware, especially in our early relationship, that we were becoming. And it was critical that we help bring out the best in each other and help support one another's dreams. The neat part is, is that we still want to do that now. Yes. You know, years and years and years ago, my mom had some dynamic women in the house. And I'll admit, I was probably eavesdropping. But these women seemed really old to me. And mm-hmm. she was asking a question. And I don't even remember the question. But the answer sticks in my mind. This is one of these women who looked so dignified and proper. And her answer to whatever mom asked was, what I love is when I hear Al's car pull in the garage. And that has always stuck with me because mm. to know that you were in a wonderful, vibrant marriage is to know that after all these years, having the door open, yes. seeing on your app that they're home is a wonderful thing. It makes you feel lighter, not heavier. Mm. It doesn't mean you don't go through hard times, no. but it does go back to what we, we've been talking about, which is love. Mm-hmm. A strong marriage is one where even when you don't feel like loving, you choose to love. Yes. And that's what makes oh. marriages last. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. So I think um, we're very polarized as a country now politically. And I think your book totally hits the nail on the head because we will begin to bridge that gap through love. Through love, instead of confronting and um, tr- you know, just just battering the the other person, it, we really have a whole lot more in common than than the news media wants us to think or um, the pundits. Wouldn't you agree? I agree, and I think so much of the the healing happens when we open our doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a wonderful, wonderful house of worship here in Atlanta called the Temple. And they are so profound and amazing in the way they open their doors with love. They open their doors with dialogue. And they open their doors even to people who've caused the pain, which I find to be so magnificent in the vulnerability of that. Yes. You know, when we've had instances of young people making some really poor choices and choices of hate and racism, the temple has said, come talk, 
learn, know our history, know that we are in community together. We serve together. We love together. It would be so easy for anyone to close the doors. And in a time in our nation where it is sometimes terrifying Mm -hmm. for people to walk into a house of worship, and yet they choose to open the doors and love more, oh my gosh, that's Mm -hmm. a team I want to be on. That's people I want to be in service with. But we've got to figure out what we're projecting Mm -hmm. and how we are... um, what we are saying in the name of love. We are Mm -hmm. saying some pretty toxic, hateful things in the name of love, Mm -hmm. and we can't seem to see it. Right. There shouldn't be such hostility. There shouldn't be such either, such them and us. But if we want to build bridges, first of all, we've got to decide, do we want to build them? Yes. Do we want to build them? Mm -hmm. I think we do. I think there are enough of us who want to build bridges. And then we've got to be in the willingness to start building them. It's in our name, the United States of America. We weren't ever meant to be divided. And the times in our country's history when we were divided were the worst times, right? You know, we just, we can't allow that to happen. And I think it, uh, it happens person by person, family by family, saying, no, we're not. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm extending the hand of grace, the hand of friendship across the aisle because I don't want to be divided. I don't want to live in a country that's divided. And in that grace and in that extension, we have to extend the most important thing, which is the gift of listening. Mm -hmm. And the, the listening and understanding historical deep wounds If we don't understand what it's like to have dealt with systemic legacy racism, how do we mend the wounds now? So we have to be willing to understand that there, yes, we are the United States, but we don't have a united history. And that's okay. That's actually rather very, very important. The lineage of Thomas Jefferson Part of that, a beautiful, amazing part of that, is Sally Hemings. But we have to talk about what happened to Sally. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge her history. When we think about going to his home, uh, in all the historical pieces there, are we seeing her? When we go to museums and pieces of art, are we seeing all the pieces of our community? Mm -hmm. Are we seeing what's not up because it was destroyed? What do we want to awaken and build up? And what do we never want to come up again? Mm -hmm. What do we never want to stoke? And what do we beautifully want to let blaze and and just rage in us in a wonderful, beautiful fire of love? The only way we heal is if we acknowledge the pain, if we see it and call it out. And talk about it. Yep. Talk about how we got to this point. Yeah. And not be so afraid. Mm-hmm. Somebody else's pain isn't taking away your own. Right. Exactly. And don't be so quick to, to be confrontational. Yes. Yes. You know, we're just like poised and ready with our response instead of listening. Yeah. Right? And, and being empathetic and taking time, like you said, to pause and, and really let that sink in instead of reacting. 
In a huge city like Atlanta, there is a unique opportunity that we can do in other parts of the country. And here's one example. If you are in a big city and you've got some great big college football teams that you go to, I would encourage you if you are not a part of or have not been to a historically black college or historically black university in your city, in your town, have gone to that campus, do it. Go on a chore. Be a part of it. Know what's Mm. going on in every university in your community, not just the ones that you're an alumni from or all your friends cheer for. Let's be on a bigger team, the team of us. That's a great idea. I love that. I mean, we are so richly blessed with historic black colleges in this area, and I am, I'm going to take you up on that. Let's on go. That. I'll go okay. with you. Okay. Fantastic. I would love that. Okay, well, we are getting close to our end of the conversation. I love to close these episodes with the word relevate means to uplift or inspire. What would you have to say to my listeners about um, inspiring through love? I would say this one sentence in this upcoming holiday season, in the swirl of all that is to come, in the close of a decade. Oh my gosh, there are just minutes before coming into the 2020s. Here's what I want them to do to have some radical, wonderful changes. Give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. Give yourself grace. Simple as that. Sarah Crossman Sullivan, you are full of grace and love and light. And I'm so glad to have spent this time with you and can't wait to dig deeper into your book. It's been my joy. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, sister. I don't know about you, but after that conversation with Sarah, my heart is filled up and I am ready to mobilize with a mission of love. And I hope you are too. Each and every one of us has the power to break through what she calls that epidemic of empty by loving and serving each other. As Sarah said, let's be on a bigger team, the team of us. Please share this important and hopeful episode with everyone you know. Love is and always will be the answer. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.